Hello and welcome back to Behind the Mic with me, David Cotter. My guest this week is Martin Condon. Martin is a podcaster, activist and a horrible scientist. Martin has been an extremely vocal figure and heavily involved in the growing movement to legalise cannabis for recreational and medical use in Ireland. He spoke to me about the history of cannabis and why it is now illegal. He also explained to me how he himself went from believing that this small green plant or herb was the devil's lettuce and no good to the exact opposite opinion today. This episode is quite long, but it is information packed. I'm going to add all of Martin's links to his social channels and his very own podcast, Martin's World, where he speaks to people and investigates everything to do with cannabis and cannabis related. So I'll tag that below. So for anyone interested in keeping up with Martin, you'll have your link below. Um, A word from me to all of you lovely listeners. If you have guest recommendations or people you would like me to chat to, drop me a DM on Instagram and we can try and get them on. If you know the person that you'd like me to speak to personally, let's link via you and makes it much easier for me because my DMs, if I'm not following them or they're not following me, it goes straight into their request inbox, which may not be seen for weeks or months. Again, as usual, please give the show a rating on Spotify and subscribe on YouTube so I can try and attract the best guests possible. So, without further ado, episode 32, introducing Cork's very own Martin Condon. Martin, thanks for joining me on Behind the Mic. I hope you're well. I'm very good. Thanks very much for having me. No problem at all. Um, I suppose the best place to start is... Um, I'm interested in how you, I suppose, started your journey on activism. But first, what was what was your first kind of introduction to weed itself? Or like, um, how, how did you get so interested in the topic, I suppose? Yeah, I suppose my, my first introduction to it would have been me as a as a brainwashed person, I suppose. Knowing like um, it was hash and I was about 15 and it was my cousin's. And they were smoking it, and I wasn't at the time. And I can remember saying to them, you know, why, why are you smoking this stuff? Or it's going to rot your brain. You're, you're, you're going to, like, not be able to go to school anymore. And all of this, because me and my cousin went to secondary school together. So we used to get the bus to school in the morning. And I never forget saying that to him one morning on the bus. And I'd say it was about a week later, and, like, he twisted my arm, and I took a, a, a puff off of his joint. And sure, the rest was history. And it was, uh, it was a magical experience. I really enjoyed it. And... I suppose looking back at it really afterwards, like what it, it wasn't really, I thought initially it was a social thing that I enjoyed, just being there with the lads, kind of rolling up joints, smoking, watching some movies, getting the munchies, you know, little things like that. I, I thought that's yeah. what actually attracted me to it. But looking back and actually afterwards, it was um, the, the therapeutic effects of the cannabis allowed me to slow down my mind enough where I could actually engage with my own thoughts. I, I really don't think I engaged my thoughts prior to consuming cannabis, that there was there was just in thought impulse, you know, that there was no engaging with that thought. It was just thought impulse, boom, action. And there, there was no pause for thought. All right, wait, thinking about it. All right, now we'll do an action because we've thought about maybe the consequences of what you're doing. Cannabis enabled me to, to have that pause where I can engage my thought and think through what I was doing. I made better decisions. Um, I, I ended up, um, I was working away all the time from being 15 onwards. Uh, I always made better decisions. 
Um, and I, it never impacted me in a negative way until I actually got caught with it when I was 17. Mm. So like that, that was kind of my introduction to it, about 15, 16, 17. It was just pretty much all positive experiences, hanging out with my cousins, hanging out with the lads. Um, but more importantly, hanging out with myself in my own head and actually mm. being able to engage with my own thoughts because uh, that was something that was foreign to me. Um, and I, I didn't realize that until many years later, looking back and once I actually started looking into studies around cannabis about uh, the therapeutic effects. And I was realizing then that's what it actually offered to me. It wasn't like I was getting stoned and I was whatever. Like it was actually a therapeutic benefit that I was experiencing. And that's what kept bringing me back to cannabis. Yeah, I, I want to go back to one of the things you said there first when you were 15, you said that you were um you were a victim of being kind of brainwashed. And like, I suppose for for anyone coming from a small town in Ireland or even, you know, parts of the cities, you know, like, or I suppose listening to what your parents kind of say about these things or, you know, the older people that you're surrounded with, especially going back before the 80s and 90s, like, you know, it, it wouldn't have been that common. So you're listening to older people um, you're surrounded by telling you that, you know, they know someone you know, one of the hippies in the town maybe was smoking a bit of weed and God, he's gone gaga since, you know, like he yeah. he's not right or he's fried or something like that. Um, was that your kind of idea before you started smoking it yourself and got into the, the readings and, you know, the, the theory of it and stuff like that? Yeah, that, that would have been my belief. Uh, I suppose before I tried cannabis, we would have had one of these guys come into our school and talk to us, you know, and tell us about how he started with cannabis and it led to him and he's injecting heroin down alleys and you know that that kind of nonsense old thing so like they, they fill you up with all their lies and then when you actually realize that they were lies that's very dangerous for a young person and at that, that age especially 15 you know, I just realized that the people who were giving me information about this have been lying to me all along and what else have they been lying to me about you know, and, and thank God I, I didn't get very experimental at that age. I think I tried maybe ecstasy by the time I was 16. Um, but I, I didn't venture off into other drugs. Um, but there was a temp there was a risk that I could have because those guys lied to me. Yeah, yeah. And, you know? and by those guys, are you meaning like government and like rule makers, legislation makers, doctors? Yeah. Do you think that they're lying to you, or do you think that they actually it's an unintentional lie as in they've been fed even by the researchers before them or the legislation makers before them so they just assume because it's in law or it's written in some book that it's correct and that that's it that's fine it's final you know there's no need to uh update the legislations or update the medical research or even look into things further because this thing is outlawed now there's no point in looking at it anymore yeah, there, there's probably a little bit of that there where they 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 believe their own lies. You know, they they've they've all been sold the 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 mistruth uh, that cannabis is bad for that it's the devil's lettuce. You know, and it's gonna rot your brain and cause all sorts of untold miseries within our society. Um, I imagine they probably do believe that. I I can't believe that there's prohibitionists out there that know the prohibition has failed and they still support it. I, I really think that those who continue to still support prohibition believe that it's actually working, but we can see on the street that it's not working. We've got kids like as young as 10 or 11, like, actually, sorry, we've got kids as young as seven or eight running drugs on the streets of Ireland. Mm. Like, do we have kids seven or eight like running tobacco for, for shops? Do we have them running alcohol for off licenses? No. Why? Because regulation works. 
Um, I, I don't know. I, I just can't believe that there's a prohibitionist out there that is knowingly lying about prohibition. I really do think that they're just full of their own crap, like they believe in their own lies. So where does, like, historically, like, where does the the story of cannabis have its origin stories? Like, I've 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 read more about, I suppose, the origin stories in the USA and it's it's links to racism, you know, within yeah. the black culture and stuff like that. Is it is that did we adopt that kind of. Um, did we adopt like, you know, criminalizing it? because of them or is is our the irish and the european story separate to the american story no it's, it's completely um dictated by the american story it was the americans pushed it through the united nations um and through the united nations then you had the 1961 uh, convention on narcotics and that was the one that really put the nail in the coffin and that was really a part of this war on drugs type of approach prior to that there were smaller pushes uh from like church level and the puritans and, and things like that but cannabis use wasn't as widespread in the recreational sense but cannabis use was pretty widespread in the medicinal sense in that prior to 1930s you would have been able to get cannabis-based medicines in many pharmacies whereas today it's few and far between but that a lot of that is just because of the cannabis prohibition they brought in cannabis prohibition i believe in 1932 in the u.s and they put in place the Marijuana Tax Act, which basically meant that if a farmer wanted to grow hemp, he had to get these stamps. But the thing was, no farmers were actually even able to get the stamps after they set up this program. And what they did as well, interestingly, was they started calling it marijuana. Um, but it wasn't marijuana, it's cannabis. They started sticking this Mexican name onto it in order to kind of um, make it different. It's They're uttering it. They're mm. uttering it from the medicine in their cabinet, and they're making it this kind of... Oh, it's this exotic thing coming in from Mexico with all these immigrants. And people were very racist at that time, especially in America. There, there was um, a civil war kind of going on down in the south of um, in Mexico. So you had a lot of um, people spilling over the border, much like kind of we have with Russia and Ukraine today. There was war going on there. So we have people moving. Um, that was going on back then. And we can kind of see it here in, in Ireland today. You know, the examples of people oh, uttering those people coming over here. Oh, do those guys coming over, they're taking up all the rooms and blah, blah, blah. But that's exactly what was going on back then with the Mexicans. And what did they do? They were like, oh, these guys, they smoke that marijuana. And then they were able to demonize it through that. They, they blinded people for it. And, and then it spilled over to see through the UN, as I say, um, over time. And it just became ingrained in across the world in the global war on drugs. Yeah, that's interesting. Like, And, and there's also ties as well, and you'll probably know more about this as well, that when, when they criminalized it in the u.s that there was um like the plant hemp was yeah. no longer you know even able to be grown for things like clothes um i think as well like there's even links that like you know the the big oil oil barons back in back in the early days in the night or yeah the start of the 20th century in the u.s like rockefeller and these guys that they had a big push against it because that it was actually a good alternative to petrochemicals to fuel cars and that actually it was uh, an enemy of the pharmaceutical industry, which was beginning to grow. Yeah, um, it was a huge computer. Like it was so big. Like again, war is kind of relevant right now, but back then there was a bit of a war kicking off and the Americans actually had a campaign, Hemp for Victory, because they needed hemp for the, the boats, for the ropes and for like 
soldiers' uniforms and things like that. So Hemp for Victory was a campaign that the Americans actually ran after prohibition of cannabis actually started. So they, they re-engaged farmers again in growing hemp, uh, hemp for victory as the as the video goes. It's up there online if anybody wanted to look it up. But it's interesting, you know, that this plant that we demonize so much today, back then it was such a, an important commodity within society. But as you quite rightly pointed out now, um, what we have today is all these synthesized fibers and stuff like that that can compete with hemp. And maybe it can compete on a certain level. But to be fair, uh, hemp wins out like when it comes to quality of material over a lot of the synthesized stuff like in terms of its strength in terms of its ability to like uh, handle water and stuff like that and not break down um hemp is a, a superior product um so yeah you're quite right in saying that the petrochemical in, uh, industry and, and a couple of others were quite threatened by it because the the plant itself you know while it offers a lot industrially from its fiber like it's it's a powerhouse when it comes to the chemicals that it can produce the 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 phytochemicals the plant based chemicals it's uh it, it's got a so like and compared to other plants out there that have medicinal value like the medicinal compounds in those plants they're tiny compared to the amount that actually cannabis produces like so it's a it's a very giving plant for us as humans to to be using and we've been cut off from it for for how bloody long. Yeah, that's interesting too. Like you think in 2023 with such a, a big environmental uh, stewardship kind of movement happening as well that, you know, all of these things like you're talking about, like all of the fashion industry is just swamped in petrochemicals as well because all the fibers, as you mentioned, are made from petrochemicals. You have like plastics, ropes, all these things that the hemp plant can substitute for fairly readily yeah. is is disregarded. But even... Even if they were to introduce it, we'll, let's just say we'll park the, the the medicinal side for for a second. But even if they were to substitute it for um, substances that can, you know, everyday substances, you have like a so much more sustainable product here. It's a plant; it can grow. You're not fucking drilling hundreds of meters down into ocean beds, risking environmental catastrophes, risking all these other things. But just because we're ignorant and there was a movement back in the 1930s, we've just fucking parked it. But yeah. <laughs> again, you have like vested interests of billionaires here that if hemp is to substitute their their product or their commodity, like they're out of business like but i'm sure like they they could probably put their money towards hemp research themselves if they were smart enough now you'd imagine yeah there's there's definitely a move there um within ireland from campaigners anywhere around the hemp industry to be engaging with people um especially people within different industries like say the packaging industry ireland has a quite a big packaging industry um and we we've been sending them information around like diff different um different studies on cannabis and it's well hemp i suppose and its ability to offer an alternative eco-friendly um say packaging solution because you could make um bioplastics out of it and uh, th these are biodegradable plastics and you don't really have to some of them are actually compostable uh compared to like say some of the, the crap that you're getting in the door from your amazon now and things mm -hmm. like i can remember uh, back in my time in college that they were talking big about mushrooms at the time um but to be fair, like cannabis, uh, well, hemp, if you want to, whichever you want to call it, it's the same bloody plant. Um, that's the one that offers the most potential, and it's completely overlooked because of this this issue around the, the whole prohibition of the plant. Like when I was actually doing my my four year uh, college uh, degree in herbal science, 
I couldn't even do anything with the cannabis plant, even if I wanted to to do any studies into it, not even looking at the THC side of it. If I wanted to look at the plants uh, to grow it for fiber, I wasn't even allowed to grow it. I'd have to get onto the Department of Health to get a ministerial exemption to be allowed to grow cannabis in this country for research purposes, even if it's for hemp. Like if I could grow a variety of cannabis that it's like Heineken Zero, Mm. it's like no 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 way it's cannabis you're it's red taped and you're not going next to near it um and that that's just the state of affairs and when we get fed this crap that there's uh there's not enough studies there to support it and that's bloody why nobody can actually do the studies at all it's uh it's abs- absolutely insane because the potentials there that are in that plant are going to remain there until we actually start studying it and unlocking its secrets i suppose through uh academic pursuits and we yeah. can't pursue it until we get the illegal nature of it away, unfortunately. That's insane, man. Yeah, I've actually had um, a, a hemp farmer, a good friend of mine, Dara Hayes, on twice to talk about, you know, his hemp farming and stuff. He he grows it down in, I'm going to say somewhere in the Barra Peninsula down in West Cork. Um, and, you know, like he, he was saying the shit that he had to go through, like was insane, like from going to the Department of Agriculture to the other departments. Like and he said that, like even the field that he grew it in, it's not allowed to be visible from the road. So you have to have it like so many meters back from the road. You have like there's just so much rings around it. He said it is slightly loosening. I mean, but he said, again, highly regulated with the the level of THC in the plant uh, variety that you're growing. Yep. You know, if it goes over a certain amount, like if it comes back from the lab test and it's over a certain amount, you may as well have it. like it's as good as being burnt. You can't use it for anything. And I think he's um, as far as I remember, he is using he he plans on he's early into his journey in it now like but he's planning on uh i think it's cbd oil he's using it for mm-hmm. i think maybe he's selling it to another irish farmer to uh process but um yeah it, it's he it's probably insane. told you when he was on though that the cbd he wants to produce that the way in which he got his license in ireland is he's he's committed to actually destroying the flower that contains the cbd that he's not actually even allowed to work with the flower. So if you're growing hemp in Ireland, if you've got... You're dead right, yeah, it, that rings a bell. Only allow grow it for the stalk, the fibre, and the seed. Everything else has to be destroyed. So the flower, which contains about, what, 60 to 70% of the value of the plant in terms of the CBD, um, and it's offering then uh, economically to farmers, they have to destroy that. Like, imagine now you're in an industry where you have to destroy what's bringing in 70% of your income. <laughs> yeah, that's insane. It's, that's not viable. That is not viable at all. Yeah, Jesus Christ. It's very but mo- most of them, I'm saying that most farmers actually don't destroy it. They just go ahead and send it to somebody to be processed. But they're under risk of being persecuted. And as we see down in West Cork in Bantry recently, there was three people up in uh, before the courts for over 600,000 worth of cannabis, they said. But it was CBD cannabis. It was hemp that they were actually after growing themselves. The guards came down and took it and they were like, no, no, that's cannabis, 600, half a million worth of can- over half a million worth of cannabis. And they get a big headline over it, you know, they get their news day, the cops do. But in actual fact, like the, us, the taxpayers are paying for this fucking PR of the cops to make themselves look good. In actual fact, what are they doing? They're terrorizing uh, a genuine business person who's offering a product that's going to bring a lot of benefit to people who would have got access to it from her. Um, and they're criminalizing it's state-sponsored ter- ter- or terrorism that's going on there right now with these people because they're using the authorities to instill fear in them 
to disenfranchise them from engaging in the industry that's gonna it's it's gonna boom here very soon we've the citizens assembly it's gonna happen and stuff uh, very soon and i reckon we're going to see a change in the irish laws and we're going to have to have a conversation about how we're going to undo the harms that have been done to these people in this pursuit of a, of a war on drugs yeah like, when we talk about war like i condemn war of any kind because you cannot have a war without innocent casualties and that's exactly what's happening when it comes to the war on drugs You've yeah. got so many innocent casualties. The only people benefiting are the, the prohibitionists, the justice system, and uh, the prison and all of that kind of stuff. And obviously the organized crime gangs who control the market. Mm. These are the benefactors. Um, just your, your average Joe, just the people out there walking. Even the non-drug users, we all suffer as a result because we have to walk dangerous streets where uh, or dangerous criminals are selling drugs potentially next door to you. Mm. And you could run a risk of getting caught up in those uh, revenge attacks, kind of, uh, what would you say, um, turf wars between drug dealers. Mm. Yeah, and uh, like, even even if you just look at the RT app there, like, it seems as though, like, I've, and I've noticed this very recently as well myself, a lot of the, the sting operations, you know, where they're, they're getting a big haul or, you know, they're intercepting something big. It seems to be all cannabis, you know, and it, it's very rarely do you see them, uh, you know, I know sometimes they do get, the, you know, they do, you know, intercept uh, big bales of cocaine or, you know, bales of heroin or whatever. But to me lately, it seems like, you know, seized big amounts of cannabis and it just, you know, if they're seizing it that often, why not, like, as you said, with the Citizens Assembly, you know, and hopefully this will be positive for the movement that, you know, like you said, if it's regulated, you remove the organized crime element out of it and you make it a regulated operation where, you know, you can get it. But about the Citizens Assembly, so what does this actually mean for for cannabis use in, in Ireland? What what does this mean to someone that doesn't know anything about it? Yeah, I suppose interesting with the Citizens Assembly for a cannabis consumer, like it can, it can mean a lot, but it's still not meaning a whole lot because it seems like at the get-go of the Citizens Assembly, um, a few of the architects of it, I suppose, um, well, a few of the politicians around it have been like insistent that they want to make sure that the conversation doesn't uh, center around any one drug and that it stays completely um i suppose what would just say um open to all drugs that the conversation can't center in on say cannabis for example and that's what they were hinting at because cannabis as you say it's the most widely consumed drug in in all of ireland most people consume cannabis when it comes and that's why it's so uh kind of often found in raids it's the most popular drug out there so if the cops are out there it's like nine times out of ten it's going to be cannabis they find because there's not as many people using, say, cocaine or heroin or any of those other drugs. And because also the nature of cannabis, it's it's bulky. It's volume-wise, you know, um, mm. compared to, say, a bag of cocaine. You know, a tiny little baggie versus, you know, if you got a 50 bag of weed, it's like a nice little lump in your pocket. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so that that's why cannabis is getting found more often or not uh, in, in these raids. Um, but w- when it comes to it, then I suppose, yeah, should I... Uh, what was the question there again, actually? I just, it was just about the Citizens' Assembly and what it actually means. Assembly, yeah. Yeah, so that's what I was saying. The Citizens' Assembly, then, when it comes to it, they're going to just discuss drugs uh, altogether. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens because what we hope to happen off the Citizens' Assembly is there'll be a recommendation to decriminalise all drug users. 
that's what the hope is and cannabis consumers uh, come in with that then as well but wearing the hat now as the patients for safe access director as i'm a director of patients for safe access and we're currently putting out a press release at the moment and it's that the citizens assembly isn't adequate to actually deal with the problems created by prohibition of cannabis and um, for patients and we believe that uh, it's it's a problem that needs to be solved sooner and it can be solved sooner without the need for a citizens assembly as there is uh, undeniably um, unanimous support for medical cannabis access for patients in Ireland. So something needs to be done about that. And the Citizens' Assembly, it's just too long a process for patients to have to wait. Um, Citizens' Assembly, it's going to take about, say, six months for it to kind of start and convene. And then a report has to be generated at the end of that. So you're talking about maybe nine months before we actually have something that we can talk about in terms of the report from the Citizens' Assembly. And then that means we're only talking about it in nine months' time. That mm. means by another six to 12 months again before a policy is actually enacted around recommendations off of it. So you're, you could be looking at two years. That that two years, that's two years of pain, suffering, facing criminalization as a, as a patient using cannabis excluded by the Medical Cannabis Access Program. That's just not good enough. So we at the Patients with Safe Access are uh, adamant that the issue of cannabis needs to be dealt with separately from the Citizens' Assembly because the Citizens' Assembly is going to look at drug use at large, and it seems to be very much focused on the harms associated with drug use, and there's no conversation about the harms associated with our drug policy, because I'm mm-hmm. telling you, there, there is far greater harms associated with our drug policy than there is with our drug use. Um, a person's drug use, if it develops into, say, a health problem, that person's more than likely, like, what would you say, five out of ten, six out of ten people will seek help. You've probably four out of 10 people, three out of 10 people who, through no fault of their own, they just came up in a bad environment and whatever, and they, they don't know how to seek help or they mightn't even want to seek help because they don't feel like they're worth that help. Those are the people who are going to develop problems to associate with drug use. Um, and, and those people need to be helped as well. Um, and I think that's what the Citizens' Assembly wants to talk about is those kind of four out of 10 people, three out of 10 people who've got problematic drug use. They don't want to acknowledge the fact that there's 70 to 80 percent of people who will use drugs and not develop a drug use problem. Like yeah. Think about it with alcohol. How many people go out and engage with alcohol? You would say about 70 to 80 percent of them can do it in a, in a healthy, controlled, regulated way. You say yeah, I have about 20 percent of my friends and uh, they're a bit of kind of loose with their drinking. And yeah, you might want to avoid them on a Saturday night. You know, you, you know, those kind of people that mm. I talk about, but they're not everybody and you're not going to base how we regulate alcohol and that, that two, 20% of people, those two out of 10. But that's what we seem to be wanting to be doing with when it comes to other drugs. It's like, oh, we're only going to focus on the problematic users. We're not going to talk about the people who've actually uh, can use drug responsibly, can hold down a job, can hold down their social status within their community and stuff like that, um, and that their life doesn't deteriorate because of their drug use. We don't want to talk about those people because, you know, we want to bury our head in the sand and we remain ignorant about the fact that people can be responsible drug users and I hate the fact that we always talk about drink and drugs drink yeah. is a fucking drug it's, yeah the, the, there's, the, the, there's a great drink. divide there yeah oh, it's, it's it's so insane like and, and they do it all the time and they just do it so nonchalantly too nowadays they don't even think about it and you have to remind them you're like hang on drink is a drug we're going to talk about drugs we have to talk about it inclusive of drink too um and and tobacco and fucking, you could even say coffee for for that example as coffee, mm, a stimulant like yeah, or some something that alters your chemistry. Yeah, that's <clears throat> that's interesting. Is there any hope like that? Um, 
the citizens assembly might spark something like towards more even in a more liberating you know attitude towards um cannabis such as like you know the, the model seen in like canada or or california where any Joe Soap, as long as they have their ID and they're over 18, can go in and get, you know, um, a bag of weed in the the, the, the the cannabis dispensary, like, or anything like that. You would hope they'd come out with something like that, a recommendation like that. But again, because the Citizens Assembly is going to be discussing all drugs, I think it's just going to be a very uh, kind of a, a vague decriminalize all drug users. And it's up then to the regulators, uh, the policymakers, as to what we do there. Because if we simply just decriminalize, and we don't set up um, regulated avenues for people to get access to those decriminalized drugs. What we've effectively done is just legalize street dealing at a low level. Mm. If it's decriminalized, you're allowed to have in Portugal, for example, you're allowed up to 10 day supply of, uh, of each of the drugs. So effectively, a dealer can supply 10 people a one day supply and not be in risk of um, of getting caught and criminalized for that. So you just go out, sell it to nine people, go back and get enough for nine more. And therefore, like you're never even over the 10 and you could deal away in the street. And we don't want to do that because what we're doing then is allowing the market to remain in control of the organized crime gangs. We're not cleaning up the drug supply. If we want to reduce harm, like and if we're actually true about our, um, what would you say, our, our, um, our desire to help these people, then we'd want to help them by cleaning up the drug supply. The biggest risk to drug users today is a contaminated drug supply. Like mm. cannabis, cannabis should be fairly safe to consume and to use even for, like, as I said, I was 15 when I started using it. The biggest danger to us at that time was the hash had like plastic and shit inside. I don't know if you know what soap or hash was. It was quite poor quality hash and you, know, you could be burning into you. have to use a flame to soften it so you can get a bit off. Mm. And, and sometimes you'd be getting like little bits of plastic in there as you're burning in, like you're melting plastic, you're smoking that stuff. That's contaminated product you shouldn't be getting that and that that's a danger to you as a consumer there was nothing else in the, the hash that would have posed as serious a risk as the carcinogens from that plastic mm. cannabis flowered and afterwards it started getting sprayed with like fiberglass and stuff like that and now there's synthetic cannabinoids are all over the place it's it's a dangerous world out there in and from the unregulated side of it it's it's cannabis itself it doesn't really pose a danger to you but because of where you're getting it today it's far more dangerous. And, and that danger is multiplied exponentially than when you start getting onto powdered and pill substances because the, the, that's an incredibly dangerous uh, game you're playing then. You're more or less rushing roulette every time yeah. you take unless you've done your homework around the source of your drugs. Yeah, that's interesting as well because like just in, in norm, normal economics, like you want your customer to return so you'll try and give them the best product. So like it, does that does that run the risk then if you have cannabis that it's going to be sprayed with like some other sort of like you know thing that will make your 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 smoke up a lot better or you you know it might not health wise it's probably not as good for you but you know you're going to feel in the moment when you're stoned or whatever that that it's a lot better is that a danger as well like is is shit getting sprayed out there in ireland you know with all this stuff and like you mentioned with the hat the soap bar hash that there was bits of plastic is that still still going on to a high level like um, the, the hash thing has uh, pretty much stopped us. You can't really get soap or hash anymore. Um, a lot of the hash you get now is uh, slate pollen and stuff, and you're getting kind of softer hashes there as well. But the soap bar, as far as I know, and I've not seen soap bar in a long time with the plastic and stuff inside it. But what's happening now is some of the hash that they're getting, um, you can get uh, resin off of other trees. So there's the pine tree. Um, so they're getting pine needle resin. 
So it's like a resin that you can squeeze out from inside of pine needles and they're actually coating the outside of the hash in this resin to make it look like the hash is oozing in resin, you know, to make mm. it look more potent than what it is. Um, as far as I know, smoking that pine resin is actually quite bad for you um, as it's when you combust it, when you burn it, it produces some pretty uh, um, not nice compounds anyway, let's say that. Um, you shouldn't be really smoking pine needle resin. I believe they use pine needle resin for um, uh, violin strings or something along those okay. something along those lines. They use it for it's like uh, it gets applied to violin strings, I think. But they're coating it on hash now to make it look better and present better. That's what's going on with hash. When when it comes to cannabis, then the flower itself that's getting sprayed with things like synthetic cannabinoids these days. And you were kind of asking, does it make it better? Um, it it can definitely make it more intense the experience but the experience is nothing like actually smoking some good bud and just melting into your couch relaxing you know unwinding or having a nice sativa and kind of engaging with your thoughts and being creative and painting pictures the the stuff the synthetic cannabinoids do it's it's like an industrial <laughs> it's it's incredibly intense and it's nothing like either of those other two it doesn't melt you into your couch it doesn't make you engage with your thoughts it just makes you fucking feel weird um, it causes these little vibrations in your head and stuff. It's very unpleasant, to be fair. Um, I've only ever tried it once, so I'm speaking from that experience. I tried the stuff from the head shops. It was called uh, King Triple B or something like that. Um, and it was a synthetic cannabinoid sprayed onto flower material. But these synthetic cannabinoids, now since they brought in the psychoactive substances bill here in Ireland back in, I think it was 2016 or something like that, all of those synthetic cannabinoids then just found their way onto the black market. Mm. Initially, they were selling the King Triple B, the spice, as as it is. You know, you knew what you were buying when you were buying it. But then people actually stopped buying it because they only were buying it in the head shops because it was legal. And then it moved to the black market. People still bought it then from the black market for a little while. But then I think most people, once they were back at the black market, they just started switching back over to the cannabis and stuff. So the, the demand for those kind of products went down but the thing is the synthetic cannabinoids were still around they just started importing them in a pure form and spraying them now onto the cannabis and as we talked about the cbd industry a little while ago there's a lot of cbd flour available out there today and you can get it cheaply you can get cbd flour imported in from say italy for as little as what one two euro a gram or something like that you get that in for one two euro a gram you spray it with some synthetic cannabinoids and you can sell that now for like 20 euro a gram you know, you've just knocked up your money there by over a thousand percent, like almost two thousand mm. <laughs> percent. Why wouldn't criminals do that? And that's what we're facing out there as consumers today. Yeah. And like f- for someone that like smokes weed, probably n- not as often as yourself. And maybe maybe you'll tell me a bit more. Like how how does someone know if they're getting good weed when they buy it? Yeah. Um, there's a couple of ways, I suppose, really. There's test kits you can actually buy um so it's like a, a little vial that comes you can break off a piece of your cannabis you drop it into a little reagent inside in the vial and that reagent then will react with the compounds and indicate whether there's synthetic cannabinoids present but the thing is there's limitations to those studies uh are those tests as the reagent will only re- react with a certain amount of synthetic cannabinoids so you could get a negative result and you're thinking, oh, I've got good cannabis, but in actual fact, it just might have been a synthetic cannabinoid outside of the scope of that reagents test. Um, so do your homework, make sure you get, uh, I think there's like 
two or three different reagents you can get, and that will cover the, the widest possible uh, amount of synthetic cannabinoids. That's one way. But again, these are destructive tests. You're after paying 20 euro, say, for a gram of cannabis, and now you have to use like a, a tenth of it or a twentieth of it in your tests. Like, you're not going to be too happy about that, really. So most people actually don't really test their cannabis at all. They'll just get it from somebody that they can they can trust, you know. Mm. How do you know you can trust somebody? With no refund policy. <laughs> yeah. But I think the people who are most at risk, it's not me. I'm I'm like well established. I'm 33. So I've been around now for quite a while buying cannabis. So I know people, I know who to talk to, and I know who not to talk to, more importantly. Um, whereas if you're if you were me when I was 17, 15, 16 coming up and you were on the street hanging out with your friends and stuff, and you, you don't know people, you're gonna go to whoever's willing to deal with you at that point. You know, mm. you're, you're desperate, I suppose, and you get taken advantage of in that situation. So the people who are most at risk are the teenagers now, the people who are going to be growing up, getting curious and saying, oh, I might try some cannabis. And their first time is going to be them ended up in hospital because they got caught with some synthetic cannabinoids. And we've seen that here in Ireland already. And I'm trying you know, touch wood. I hope we don't see it, but I I'm, think it's only a matter of time. I think the, the clock is ticking. As long as we keep cannabis prohibition in place, it's only a matter of time now before we're going to see a fatality in Ireland from these synthetic cannabinoids as We've seen a number of them across Europe. The UK has seen a number of fatalities associated with synthetic cannabinoids. And across Europe, they've seen them as well, mostly to do with edibles, I believe. Um, but that's not to say that it wasn't smoked as well. I do believe there's a couple of people on the continent of Europe that passed away because of smoking synthetic cannabinoids. But it's far more dangerous to consume them in an edible form, which is happening more and more in Ireland as well today, as we see edibles becoming more of a popular product for people um, hiding a synthetic in an edible is so easy it's mm. so easy that's interesting too because you think that um i was gonna, what was i gonna say again there about the um you know like for someone that isn't too well up on on the chemistry the biology the naming culture of cannabis like if they just see canna cannabinoid is it cannabinoid yeah. like they they just assume that that's cannabis so if mm. we'll say even for me, because I didn't even know that thing exi existed, like to me, cannabis is cannabis, like you smoke <laughs> it, like, and, and that's it. Like, I didn't know that there was a different synthetic cannabinoid. Yeah. So, and I wouldn't say that I'm any fool to, fool to you know, um, to, to cannabis at all, like, you know, um, so I'm just thinking about even for me, if I read it and, you know, for example, uh, God forbid, if someone did pass away from from smoking a synthetic ca cannabinoid. And if you read that in in a news article and I'm sure you know the way the news works, they won't be distinguishing between cannabinoid and cannabis and they won't provide an explanation as to what the issue was that this person got it from a bad source and that there was it was sprayed with a synthetic or, you know, so automatically you're seeing the headline young person dies after smoking cannabis or cannabinoid but sure who the fuck knows what a cannabinoid is if you're not you know entrenched in this kind of um in this industry or, or activism like you know so you're exactly all what happened uh, the the three teenagers in tipperary it was three teenagers hospitalized from cannabis jellies there was nothing about synthetic cannabinoids in the headline it was cannabis jellies so straight away in the head, you're painting a picture, you're demonizing cannabis now because you anybody reading that who's, as you said, outside of the, the, that kind of um, that, that conversation, they're just going to see cannabis jellies and that's it. That their, their mind is made up. You ask those people, should we legalize cannabis? Jeez, God, no, there was there was kids in hospital because of those cannabis jellies. We can't do that. 
and the recency buying and the recency bias kicks in then because you remember <laughs> what the latest news story was so if it's a negative one and very rarely do you see a positive one about cannabis so like even if you're scrolling like as i said earlier the rt news app you're going to see seizures like i mean drug seizures not actually seizures <laughs> from drugs um you're going to see maybe you know like them three teenagers like they're the recency you don't see maybe about um you know the medical benefits or you very rarely see an article like you know on especially an established media outlet you know um talking about you know the positive effects and yeah. stuff like that um there's positive effects there's many I and mean, we, we could talk about them every single day um but we don't we, we vera toomey here in our in cork who walked from cork to dublin to get access to cannabis for her daughter her daughter's doing amazing. That's a story that could be told every day. This girl is seizure-free today, again, thanks to cannabis. Tomorrow, this girl is seizure-free again. Like, that's a story in itself. Every day, an epilepsy patient can wake up and not had a seizure the day before. That's a fucking newsworthy story for that person, for that person's parents, for that person's family. Because that, that means that that person is going to be intact now. Seizures are devastating on the body. I suffer epilepsy myself. And every time you have a seizure, you run a risk of like losing your ability to, to talk, to walk. You can forget these things because of the damage a seizure does to your brain. That girl is living an almost seizure-free lifestyle, um, a life now, because of cannabis. And we, we don't hear that in the news every day. We, we'll hear, oh, three teenagers get hospitalized because of uh, cannabis jellies. We'll hear, oh, the Gardaí intercepted like half a million worth of cannabis there at the airport. Oh, it's great. But what about the story of Ava Barry? What about the story of uh, Amy Brown uh, suffers with endometriosis, suffers with chronic pain? She leaves, lives uh, a, high, a much higher quality of life thanks to cannabis. She she can um, um, reduce the amount of um, life, life dulling, life numbing uh, opiates that she used beyond. They turned her life into a, a, a black and white monotone type of life where there was no enjoyment. There was no happiness in it. Alicia Maher described it the exact same way. She suffers with chronic pain also associated with um, complications that arose due to, to getting her tonsils out at a young age. at 17, I think. And complications arose, which ended up with her just suffering a life of uh, chronic pain. She had to get like her intestines out after she contracted MRSA inside in the hospital. So it was those complications. And uh, cannabis is offering her again a higher quality of life. She had to leave Cork and lives in Alicante, you know, because of um, because of her drug laws here. But we won't talk about these things because they, they're not suiting a narrative that cannabis is bad and we need to keep it legal. But we could talk about these things as you like we could have a positive news story every single day about cannabis because I can tell you out there right now as we sit here talking to somebody getting up medicating with cannabis and they're going to have a better day because of it. How how do you medicate with cannabis? Is it like um how how does you know like the people you mentioned there do they do they smoke a joint do they hit a bang or like how how does that work for them? How does yeah no, that's a very good question um like. We talked at first about Ava Barry. Ava Barry is a young child. So, like, she's not running around the place with a joint in her mouth or something <laughs> yeah. like that, you know? Um, so, Ava Barry is getting it in its sublingual form. So, it's a tincture that she just drops into her mouth, I believe. Um, and that's how she gets the cannabinoids then into her system. They're uh, absorbed through the mucous membrane there underneath the tongue. It's a very good spot, actually, to, to get absorption to happen. Also, you can swallow it and it's carried in an oil, so it'll help get absorbed into the body then as well through the gut and stuff. Um, but that's how she would be doing it as as, uh, as a young patient. For people suffering with chronic pain then, which is an interesting one, taking it in that form for chronic pain is, it's effective, but it's not immediately effective. 
as trying to get it to absorb through the mucous membrane or down through the gut, that's going to take time. You're talking about maybe 45 minutes to an hour and a half before any effects are felt. Um, and if you're suffering chronic pain, you, you want relief now. You know, you don't want it in an hour's mm-hmm. time. Um, so that's where smoking comes into it. When, when you would smoke, and, and it doesn't have to be even smoke. We can talk about vaporizing as well. It does the exact same thing. You're, you're inhaling the compounds into the lungs. And what happens then in the lungs, there's a quick exchange because the blood coming from your heart goes to the lungs, exchanges the compounds in your lungs, brings it back to your heart, and then pumps it to the rest of your body then from the heart. So it's a very efficient way of actually delivering um, cannabinoids to the body. Now, obviously, uh, vaping, I I would be uh, as an advocate for patients and to reduce harm. Vaping is the way to go. Smoking combustion, like it's that's bad no matter what you're smoking. Anytime you burn something, you're combusting it, you're going to be producing um, some negative compounds. So vaping is always the way that a patient should be consuming. But I do believe uh, Alicia, I think she smokes fags anyway. Um, So she smokes it. the other patient I mentioned, I mentioned Alicia and I mentioned, um, who's the other person I mentioned? The, the girl that moved to, the woman that moved to Spain, I think, didn't you? Yeah, that, that uh, was Alicia. Um, and there was somebody else. Oh, Amy Brown. Amy Brown is, uh, she She also would sm- prefer to smoke it as well. But I do believe she takes edibles as well as a combination of both is much better. Smoking while it's delivers in, in a kind of an almost instant uh, therapeutic effect, it doesn't last as long. Uh, say edibles so if you were to, to combine smoking and edibles then you can get a much longer lasting effect because the edibles will stick around in the body a little bit longer um versus the smoking which as i said it kind of gets around to the whole body very quickly so therefore the effects of it are mitigated in a bit quicker um so a combination of both is what uh, she would use for effective relief from her endometriosis which is a very debilitating condition and where we're learning more about endometriosis now. Um, there's a campaign at the moment to, just to raise awareness about it. I think it's, to, we're still in March. I think uh, March is actually endometriosis uh, awareness month. Um, I think there's two in 10 women actually will suffer with endometriosis in Ireland. And many of those women will uh, actually go undiagnosed um, for most of, if not all of their life, because uh, doctors just aren't up to speed on endometriosis. They'll often put it down to period pain and things. Um, and dismiss patients. Um, she's Amy's an incredible story to tell on that one. You know her experiences uh, as an endometriosis patient uh, uh, sufferer, um, and what she experienced at the hands of the medical system in Ireland, and especially then when it came came to getting access to cannabis. You know they 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 didn't want to have that discussion. They they'd rather have her on all sorts of debilitating opiates that would leave her unable to even get into her car and drive to work. Like she's able to hold down her job now while using medical cannabis, but while she would have been on their drugs like the Plexia, Lyrica, um, they, they would have just completely taken the rug from under her feet and leaving her in a bedridden state. Um, mm. And that was her experience of them. And cannabis offers a, a much better alternative. Yeah. And like, like what are the what are the, the the kind of hurdles you have to jump through to actually even be allowed to do that in ireland you know if i if, if say say if i have one of these illnesses mm. what would i have to do you know say for example i'm fucked with one of these illnesses i'm really bad yeah like how how long does it take do i have to like go to the governmental level or is it kind of more eased now or is it yeah. is there a different attitude towards it or is it still kind of tight 
It's very, very mm. tight. So as I said, I suffer with epilepsy and my condition is actually listed there, but it's listed in a way which makes it incredibly difficult for me to get access to cannabis. So I was diagnosed with epilepsy. I was born with epilepsy, but thankfully I, I lived a life free of epilepsy from a very young age. I don't think I had a seizure after the age of one um, up until when was it, 2014 uh, when I got out of prison after being in prison for five bloody days. Um, about a week after that, my epilepsy returned. Um, but it took until November of la- of 2021 to actually get diagnosed with epilepsy. So since then, I've had to try five different medications and none of them have actually worked to prevent my uh, epilepsy. So initially, I, I wasn't really using the cannabis as a, as a medicine for my epilepsy as I wasn't suffering with it up until I got the diagnosis. I didn't realize it was epilepsy I was suffering with. I, I, they were putting it down to blood pressure because of my heart. My dad had a heart attack. His dad had a heart attack. So they were all looking at my heart. They were thinking it was blood pressure related, um, but it was actually I was having seizures. Um, so I was like dealing with a misdiagnosis there mm. for nearly seven bloody years. Um, and eventually got a diagnosis. They started giving me medication. The medication didn't start working. Um, it actually made me worse. Um, and then I started upping the game with, with cannabis, uh, using it um, regularly, uh, multiple times across the day. Um, and thankfully, do not touch wood, I've been seizure free now since April of last year um, when I really upped my use of cannabis as a medicine. Um, and getting into a proper routine saying that that routine is kind of it was easy back then as i had a consistent supply of cannabis but now today i have a less consistent supply of cannabis so i just picked up some there last night actually <laughs> um all well wrapped up after the journey home. um but yeah it's becoming quite inconsistent like even that cannabis there now um or actually that one is better that that actually came off of a local grower but the, the batch i got previous to that that was imported in coming in from maybe a commercial grow by an organized crime gang possibly in spain or the uk or something like that like the, the main thing is i didn't know where the source of the previous one was at least with this one i kind of have an idea that's a particular type of cheese strain that was grown so i'd have an idea of the the chemical profile of it um I, I'm I'm not guaranteed that when this is gone at the end of the month, I'll be get, get able to get it again. You know, and that, that's a danger. My my seizures could come back then again. Um, so it's something I'm trying to work to to mitigate. I might get back into the growing cannabis again for myself, but we we'll see. And so, like, what if 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 the the guards you know knocked on your door now <laughs> this morning and you had that in your hand? What what's the process then? Are you going to, to prison or was that what your first stint in prison or the 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 one you spoke about there your couple of days in prison? I presumed I was to do possession or something like I that. Was, was, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was born in possession. I was non-payment of fines relating to possession and not showing up in court as well. I got disenfranchised with the whole system back then because uh, I was in front of a judge in court saying, judge, like I don't feel like I've done anything wrong. I feel like I'm being violated here. I was like, can you point to my victim in the court? Can you point to somebody that I've harmed and in, in what I've done? And he can't. Obviously, he can't. I'm the victim of my own crime. So he, he'd like point to myself and was like, oh, well, look, I forgive myself for doing it. Now don't punish me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I got disenfranchised with it because the judge actually said to me in the court on one of these occasions when I was standing up, speaking up for myself, because when I went to court, I represented myself. I waived uh, my right to a solicitor to free legal aid because they don't. Rep- I, I had one, a solicitor once or twice before and they don't give you good representation at all. They just want, especially when it comes to cannabis cases, 
They just want to hear you're guilty. They'll go in, say you're guilty, give you a little sob story. Oh, he's a good student. He's a good dad. He's a good whatever. Um, and then you kind of get your donation to charity. Like I was in court, so I I, I actually got nine donations to charity for cannabis uh, possession. So I was able to give nine donations to charity and walk out of court without any conviction. Once a solicitor got me that and uh, every other time I got it myself, the one time a solicitor got me, he told me it was, oh, this, this is a very good result. You're not getting a conviction. This is great. But I was like, I just had to give 400 euro to the charity box. I only get paid. Like at the time I was working a full time job. I had to miss a day's work. So I was down the day's pay for that day. And then I had to pay over a week's wages into the court. I was a dad at that time. That that week's wages, that wasn't really my money. The majority of that money was for my kids. It was to cover rent. It was to cover shopping. I felt so bad leaving the court, actually, on, on that particular occasion. I, I nearly wanted to just throw myself into the river because of how bad it actually made me feel that I wasn't able to provide for my family, you know, because I have to feed in, into this fucking stupid justice system. Um, it, it was very degrading, the, the whole experience. Um, but as I said, like I, I got nine donations to charity and I got to walk out of the court without any conviction. And um, when the judge said to me then in the court, when I, when I was pleading my case saying, look, I've no victims and all that, he goes, well, this isn't the place to be discussing the law. All I care about is you broke the law and uh, I'm going to punish you now for that. And, and that was I was just like, oh, my God, like this guy this is like the height, the height of ignorance. I'm here before him as a citizen of the country telling him that he's doing harm to me in what he's doing. And I've harmed nobody. So it's unwarranted uh, the harm that he's imposing on me. And he just did, no, no, I don't care. You broke the law and that's it. I'm not here to discuss the law. I'm like, but you are the fucking, like, this is where we should really be discussing it. Because judges have uh, power of discretion. A judge could listen to my case and say, yeah, actually, I, I, I agree with what this boy is saying. I, I agree. I, I've seen countless people like this young fella before me, like, uh, and young ladies as well, um, who their, their, their crime is they got caught with cannabis. And punishing them is actually harmful for them. You're giving them criminal convictions. Now they're going to be less able to be employed. They're going to be less able to provide for, for their family, for their life. So that they're more likely to actually engage in more crime. Like we're doing more harm, not only to the individual, but society too, because we're, the more people we damage with our prohibition, that means the more damaged people that we have to care for in our society, those people who we care for them, they, they go on the dole. So now we're paying for them on the, the dole and like while they're on the dole then they're engaged in selling drugs in our neighborhoods and things like that, making it even more dangerous than again because of the violence that can be associated with the illegal drug trade. Like it, it's just, I don't know, it's a, snow, it's a snowball that's been rolling down the hill and bigger cause more damage the longer it's allowed to roll and that's drug prohibition. Um, and, and hopefully someday soon it'll change. But anyway, as I was saying about that judge, sorry, I keep going off on a few tangents there. No, you're all right. Um, but that judge anyway said to me, it's not the place to discuss it. So after that, I decided, look, I'm not showing up to court anymore. They can send all the summonses they want out to my house. Um, I don't really care. At the time, I was delivering for um, a pizza company and I would have been out in my car quite a bit. Um, and I was getting targeted. Like I, I got, I must have got stopped and searched, I'd say, from the age of 18 to 20 about a hundred times I'd say easy, easy about a hundred times yeah and they only caught me with stuff 12 times <laughs> do you know that, that'll, that'll put in perspective that 90% of the time they stop and search me they got nothing but yet still I remained on the pulse system and I remained a valid target that any time they seen me to be to search me so much so that I was actually out one Easter Sunday morning with my family my two daughters my two dogs my partner 
uh, we were going to a dog show down in Waterford and we were leaving Cork heading down um, on the, more, the main road uh, passing Middleton and as I said it was Easter Sunday it was a busy morning um, that road is the road to all and stuff so some mm. people will go for a day out or whatever and next we come across a checkpoint I have everything on my window tax insurance NCT thought yeah it's grand no bother drove up to the checkpoint uh, Gare comes over to my window um, I was like everything alright and she was like, uh, could you pull into the side for, for me, please? And I was like, is everything all right? Why are you pulling into the side for? Um, no, could you just pull into the side? Like, she was getting a bit cranky, you know, because I was mm-hmm. asking her, like, what am I pulling into the side for? Just pull into the side now. <laughs> I was like, all right, no water. <laughs> huh? so I pulled into the side anyway. And she goes, um, we're going to search your car under the Misuse Drugs Act. I was just like, what? What's this coming out of? Like, I was like, what's this about? And she goes, oh, you got caught with um, a joint two weeks ago. And it, it was... Uh, April 2019 was the last time I believe I got caught with cannabis outside of uh, any civil disobedience protests I held. And because I got caught with that joint two weeks previous, they were like, oh, yeah, no, we're going to search your car. I had nothing in my car now. And this morning, because I was on the way out for the day with my family, you know, I was after leaving everything at home. I don't really bring cannabis out with me all the time. Um, But anyway, they, they, they ripped the car apart. They got my partner, my two kids, my dogs out to the side of the road. And on a busy Sunday morning, there was just a steady flow of traffic going past. Like and probably the eyeballs out the car. Oh, looking the eyeballs, at you. everybody rubbernecking. Because uh, it, it was just on the run up to a roundabout. So the traffic was calming at this point, you know. So there was a lot of slow moving traffic coming by. So they had plenty of time to, to slow down and go, have a good old uh, land. Cock. Yeah. Yeah, we got a cock off us. So it was very degrading again, you know, just being at the side of the road. Uh, my, my, my kids were there, man. They put my kids through this. And it's not the first time my kids have been subject to a search and a stop and search either. Uh, and, and they get victimized by it. We, we after, after the fact, you know, you, you get the, everybody back into the car. There's kind of a quiet moment going up the road. And then one of them will say something. The kids will say, oh, they're, they're, those guards and cunts or something like that. Say something nasty towards them. And, and that, that kills me as well because. Those guards are there to protect my kids. You know, mm. if there's shit going wrong and, you know, we need somebody to protect that, that's who you're going to call. You're going to call the guards. And I don't want my kids having this twisted view of guards because of how they treat me as a cannabis consumer. My kids have hatred for guards now because of those experiences. They have a dislike for them. Those guards, aren't, they didn't protect us that day. They victimized us. They don't harm to us that day in their pursuit of this war on drugs. And we talked about it earlier. You can't have a war without their main victims. And there we go. Unintended casualties of this. Uh, my, my kids were subject to that at the side of the road. They were subject to all of these people driving by, staring at them at the side of the road. They were subject to seeing their dad being treated like a criminal um, and uh, being bullied, I suppose, like that at the side of the road. Uh, so it's, it's, it's not a nice experience to have to go through. And, uh, and it absolutely killed me that my kids had to go through that because... I got caught with cannabis two weeks previous or because I'm known to be a cannabis consumer. It's it's wrong, you know? And we look at it in other changes we've made in society recently, say the acceptance of gay relationships. Like, imagine if we harassed people like that. Oh, we know this guy is going to be engaged in a gay relationship. Oh, we go after him for sodomy and we start terrorizing them and, and harassing them as, as they do cannabis consumers. It'd be wrong. We wouldn't accept it because we know better now. But with mm. drug users, you know, we, we still stigmatize drug users. We're, we're not accepting of drug users in our society. And we still have legislation that says drug users need to be removed from society and locked up into prison cells, not allowed to live their life. Like, 
that's so fucking wrong that I'm not allowed to live my life because some dude in a suit sitting down in, in, in our government, what, 60, 70 years ago, came up with these laws. No, sorry, 80, 90 years ago, came up with these laws um, at a time when condoms were illegal and same-sex relationships were illegal. Keep that in mind, you know, this is the time of when these laws were enacted. Same-sex mm-hmm. relationships, condoms. Condoms you can get in every single pub nowadays because it's a harm reduction thing. It's not because what they said about condoms at the time is that by having condoms around, you're going to be encouraging um, premarital sex. I think that was the the whole stick about condoms. Oh, no. And also the whole thing that, oh, only God should have the right to decide whether you get pregnant or not. So mm. you should be using a condom because you're interfering with God's ability to get you pregnant. <laughs> mm. This is the thinking around some of this stuff. And and we put these drug laws in at the same time too. And it was funny enough when they actually debated our drug laws here in Ireland, when they were putting them in place, there was one or two people actually brought up the fact that the powers that were bestowing upon the guards uh, through these laws, that they actually violate the people's rights, right to privacy, because a cop now sees you walking down the road and oh, you're wearing a hoodie. Oh yeah, you, you could have drugs because you're wearing a hoodie. We're going to stop and search you. Mm. That's how they work. And that's a violation of your rights. You should be able to wear a hoodie without being fair of being stopped and searched. And the thing is, like, it's it's not even if you wear a hoodie. If you wear a hoodie and you're in, what, is it Dublin 4? Is it the pa- fancy part of Dublin? You're in Dublin 4? Oh, yeah, no, you're grand. Yeah, because your hoodie yeah. is one of those fancy. Your address is a big park play with it. like. Yeah, you know, whereas if you're walking down Ballymun and you're wearing a hoodie and your hoodie's not from Brown Thomas, it's from fucking Pennies or, or Duns or something like that. You're like, oh, yeah, let's, let's stop and search this fella. He's, or he's, a Canada goose or something like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> fucking Canada goose that uh, your mom's after getting off the Provident, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, you know, you see how like the, the drug laws are uh, disproportionately applied. You have the likes of Leo Varadkar, even our current minister for drugs, Hildegard Norton. She actually acknowledged or uh, admitted that she tried cannabis before and she said, look, it wasn't for me. What does that say about cannabis? It's like actually cannabis isn't something that's going to get you highly addictive. And if it's something that you don't enjoy, you're not going to come back and try again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Our, yeah. our drug minister. And she she knows this. But yeah, still she keeps our drug policies in place. <laughs> yeah. And actually, I, I listened to that interview and I always find it so strange, man, when there's like political debates and stuff like that, that like one of the first go to's, you know, like if there's a, a general election coming up or something like that, it's the first question. And Leo Varadkar got hit with it a couple of years back, I think, in a debate. It was like, have you ever tried drugs? Like, And and he's there stumbling, like, because he's obviously smoked weed. He probably does it regularly. He's but like the poppers. <laughs> <laughs> um, and... Uh, <laughs> And he, uh, like, he's stumbling, he's stumbling, but he has to tell the truth. And then it's the headline the next day. Leo Varadkar has, you know, admitted to smoking a joint in college or Hildegard yeah, Nocton, I think, was the same. Like, you know, um, I think Leo's uh, was uh, ecstasy. I, I don't think he admitted oh, to using cannabis. I think it was his was York's. Oh, ecstasy. was it? Yeah. yeah. Oh, OK, yeah. I think yeah. that was Leo. Yeah. And I think well, me and Martin admitted to nodding. <laughs> <laughs> But even 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 that, like it it seems fairly trivial. I mean, for for the media outlets to like you know pick that one thing, even if it is ecstasy, I think there's a bit of a stature limitation. Like what age is Leo Redcar? If it was only back in when he was in university, like you know that's probably the bones of 15, 20 years for him. Like you know, yeah. it's it's not as if like it should be a big issue. But even then, and going back to your point, I think there's. There's a very important point here that should be raised as well is about personal sovereignty. I mean, like we are we are our own people. And like you said, when you stood up in court and you said to the to the judge, I haven't harmed anyone else. 
And even if weed was harm harmful to me, I'm only harming myself. You know, you're not giving it to your child or you're not give, putting a, you know, a joint in someone else's mouth and you're not, you know, holding a gun to their head and saying, yeah. you must try this. All you're doing is smoking it for yourself. And I think that's kind of the thing for me is I even believe beyond the weed level, I think that all, all substances should be made legal and regulated, whether that's from the synthetics, synthetics from ecstasy or MDMA or cocaine, not because I like them, because I don't, but yeah. actually because I just think that it's a much better way to live once, you, once it's regulated and you can go into this dispensary and it gives you a personal amount of responsibility and sovereignty over your own body and you get to decide what's put in it. I mean, like there was, if we go back to, like there was all, there was the vaccine a couple of years back with COVID that was all, that was basically mandated you weren't left into buildings if you didn't put this in your body, you know, like and that removed sovereignty as well. So you couldn't even decide if if you wanted to go for food, you had to have uh, a jab, you know, like and I just think the lines are very crossed mm-hmm. there. And for me, that's where I get uncomfortable. No, I got the vaccine jab. I had no problem with it. Um, I, I still did. like I don't I, <laughs> I I don't care like if someone gets it or not. I, I genuinely don't give a shit. I don't give a shit if someone does coke on a Saturday night or they do MDMA, they go to a rave. That's their own thing. And as long as they're not pressuring it on someone else or, you know, not asking someone else to do it or whose whose fucking problem is it? Like once it's once it's regulated and, you know, it's it's made as safe as possible. I mean, yeah. like a bartender very rarely will stop some stop giving someone drink when they're drunk you know like and that to me seems like a more sensible thing it's like you know maybe you should have a certain you know amount of drink that you are allotted on a night of now i know on busy nights that would be more difficult but that would be more sensible to me than stopping someone getting a 25 bag or a 50 bag of weed because you very i like from being in college in Cork and, you know, just being in cities around the world and going to Amsterdam, I've never seen someone react in an aggressive manner when they're smoking weed. Never, ever, you know, like, or would you? <laughs> yeah. And like, I've never seen someone getting a fucking a, a Barney outside of, of voodoo rooms or somewhere in the city, you know, while they're smoking a joint. But I've uh, seen plenty fellas slap the heads off each other, blood puddles. Mm-hmm. over drink and maybe other drugs as well i don't know i was in their system but these guys were definitely drunk like so it's 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 it's, it's a very interesting subject man and i think as well i want to ask you about this is is you know because i know in in the states um weed is a schedule one drug which is the same as heroin yeah and you have the schedule two drugs of cocaine and meth so yeah. in 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 their rankings, cocaine and meth is safer to use yeah. than than weed. Is that the same here? Yeah, yeah, we we have a similar scheduling system here as well. Yeah, cannabis is seen as a as a schedule one, um, and it's uh, yeah, it's rated up there as being yeah. But uh, they, they talk about like classes and stuff like that then as well, which is uh, a little bit different. Um, but yeah, it's scheduling. Yeah, cannabis is up there as. Uh, a plant with uh, no no medicinal because this is what schedule one means it's a it's a drug that has no medicinal qualities and has a high potential for abuse lies i think that's the definition of a schedule one drug and cannabis is up there 
despite the fact that it's anti-seizure, anti-nausea, like it's got anti-tumor properties, it's got anti-inflammatory properties, <laughs> you know, it, it's got fucking medicinal qualities through, through the roof, like, and um, yeah, we still schedule it one. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, man. it's, it's, it's really insane. Um, do you want to tell me um, a small bit about your kind of activism and kind yeah, of, you yeah. know, what you're part of? And I think then that might be a good place to kind of wind up the episode. All right. Yeah, cool. Yeah, well, my, my activism for me, I suppose, uh, just to bring it to the start, it would have been when I first got caught with cannabis. I was out the back of the airport with my old doll at the time and we were just parked up as you do it uh, at the back of the airport watching the planes come in. I don't know mm. if you've been there. Yeah, yeah. Been there. Yeah, down Cork Airport, they have a few nice spots you can park up around it. But we left that then and we were driving back the road and blue lights came on behind us. We got pulled in and it was two Bangardi, two female guards, and they wanted to search the car. So I was just like, all right. They were like, do you have anything in the car that you shouldn't have? And this is the first time now I've ever really been stopped and searched by the guards. So they said they're going to search the car anyway. So I, was, I knew it was in the glove box. I had a, a little nudge of hash in there. It was mm. like less than a quarter, less than seven grams of hash. So it was a small little block of it. And I goes, look, I just have a bit of hash there inside my tin. And uh, they were like, yeah, no problem. They talked the tin off me and they still searched the car. They pulled the whole car apart, actually. Funny enough, it was a bit of a negative experience because after the guards left, like I had to put my car back together. They took everything out of my boot. They completely emptied my glove box. And it was just, uh, I was just, I don't know, it was a neg- It was a very distinct. No regard for your kind of. Yeah, there, there was yeah. no regard, very little respect there. Despite the fact that I cooperated with them, I gave them the hash. They didn't even have to search my car at that point. They kind of had what they want, but they still thought you know, it was worth to rip the car apart and, and not even be nice enough to put the stuff back. Took all my CDs out of my glove box. You, know, you could have just put them back in. It takes two seconds. They're just easy to take. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just back. move, put them back in and then yeah. search the next part. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I'd left us at the side of the road in the middle of the night having to put back the car together. Um, but anyway, I got caught with that little bit of hash and uh, it, it was just, it just rubbed me up the wrong way. I felt so violated by the experience. I was like, it's unwarranted. I did nothing wrong. I was just out there uh, hanging out with my girlfriend in an area that I, I soon later found out, actually, that that's uh, a hot spot for cops up there. That The cops will always go up there hassling couples because it's a spot where people tend to go up to, to kind of park up, have a smoke, watch the planes land. Um, So I didn't realize that. I wasn't even up there smoking. I was up there smooching. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know. They, they so even if you were drug tested, you wouldn't have been uh, like violating any law on the Roads Act or anything like that's that. That's an interesting one, actually. That's a, that's a different another conversation we could have, because if they tested me, I probably would have failed it because of the arbitrary nature of the test. But actually, at the time. They don't have tests for mm. drug driving. Drug driving wasn't really a thing in Ireland because they didn't test for it. You just got caught with it. And and that was it. Now, if I was driving on the road and I was swerving all over the gaff and next they pulled me in and they caught me with a hash, then they could say that I was driving under the influence, driving recklessly and all of these other charges associated with that. But there, there was no drug test at the time to, to take a blood sample and test for drugs. Um, so anyway, they, they, I got brought to court for that. Um. And I wasn't too happy about it before I got to court. It's first thing I'd done that night, actually, when I went home. I looked up the law that they quoted to me, Section 3 of the Misuse of Drugs Act 1977. I looked that up. I read what the actual law was around it, that uh, what I violated, the, the wording of it, in and out, like I must have read it a hundred times over. I found out that the maximum punishment I could get is a year in prison and up to a 5,000 euro fine, or, or both. And... Um, I went into court uh, with this knowledge in the back of my mind and 
the judge actually I went up and he he was he was a very interesting fella. He, he retired not long after this, but he, he actually spoke against the guards for bringing me to court for such a small piece of cannabis, for a small piece of hash. He was like, this should have been dealt with at the side of the road. This young lad should have got a, 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 a caution or something like that. He's like, shouldn't be wasting my time or the court's time with these uh, petty charges, is what the judge mm. said. And he threw it out. I, I was just like, what? This, this is unreal. This is the best thing ever. Because I went in there ready to fight my corner to say like that. This is wrong. I, I shouldn't be getting punished and whatever. You know, I looked up the laws. I kind of seen the the roots of the drug war because by this time I was well read up in it now looking at Nixon, Anschlinger and all of the history there of uh, the U.S.'s, um, the, the expansion of the war on drugs from the U.S. to, to Ireland and Europe. Um, so I went in there and all this and then I seen the judge and I was like, right, there, there's some hope here. Like, you know, so... I don't know, is that the thing that really sparked it initially for me? Was it that treatment by the judge where the judge was um, almost on my side, seeing it from my side that like this is a waste of the court's time? Although actually if he caught me with a bit of a bigger piece of hash that might have justified it for that judge. But still in that instance, anyway, I've seen a judge kind of... Um, Use common sense. Yeah, using common sense, disregarding the law. I mean, like, look, I, I don't really care about this. This person doesn't need to be punished. It's too small of a, a thing to be punishing him for. So... That was grand, but not long after that, then uh, I was after being caught again and again and again because the cops just kept pulling me in, searching me. I was be walking down the road at my cousins and we get pulled in. All of us would get searched. Um, so it was a bit of a nasty experience. But that that all just fueled me the whole time. Everything that all these experiences was just fueled to the fire for me. And it's a fire that's long burning and it's undying now at this stage because of the amount of fuel um, that's been put on. And that fuel is just negative experiences at the hands of uh, drug prohibition being just stopped and searched, as I mentioned earlier, with my family. And uh, it, it just it just couldn't be accepted. So I, I couldn't left. I couldn't leave it go unchallenged. So for me, it's just, Every time it happened, it was just reinforcing my need to change these laws to the point of where about two years ago now, um, I started up the, the podcast, Martin's World. Um, but prior to that, actually, I, I ran in the election, the general election here in uh, in Cork, Cork North Central, and I actually didn't get eliminated in the first count either, which was good. I managed to make it to the second or third count, which was quite good. I got 291 mm. first preference votes, ran on a manifesto, which had drug policy reform as the, the number one priority on my manifesto, as it was the thing that most affected me. Um, so it was a good, nice uh, acknowledgement there to get those votes uh, from people anyway on a very short campaign. Um, but I started up the podcast then not long after that because while I was running for the election, I was doing a lot of Facebook lives as that's how I was interacting a good bit. I was out doing door to door, but as I was walking around, I was going live on Facebook, getting out uh, different bits of videos based off maybe a conversation I had a couple of minutes previous with uh, a potential supporter in the community. Um, and, and those videos were getting a lot of traction. They were getting a lot of interaction and I was getting a lot of support from them. So with that being said, then I was like, right, the election is over. There was no need to be kind of doing these live videos anymore. But I was like, there was a good audience there. There was a good support. There was a good community building. <clears throat> so I said, fuck it. Let's let's start a podcast. I was supposed to be starting with a buddy of mine. There was going to be two of us. But um, one thing led to another and it ended up just being me and Martin's world then was born out of that. Um, not long into the podcasting then, we had the whole thing with the, the, the actually it was in the middle of COVID I started it. Um, we missed out on April 2020. So April 2020 would have been 420 fire month. Um, so we missed out on that because of COVID. We couldn't really protest. So I done a couple of things online and uh, a couple of other protests throughout that year. 
And at the end of the year, then I was like, right, there's not enough happening here. We're still in the middle of COVID and all of this stuff going on. Um, we needed some good campaigns, good protests to, to, to generate some conversation around the issue of drugs. So for me, very much inspired by other people that I looked at as role models, Martin Luther King, Rosa Parks, you know, some of the people over in the US at the Citizens, uh, the, the Citizens Rights Movement, um, their campaigns of civil disobedience uh, very much inspired me. Um, so I just like, right, I'm going to engage in this campaign of civil disobedience. I'm going to go out and break the law that I break every day anyway, but I do it while hiding, while isolated from uh, society, protected in my own little uh uh, what would you say cave I suppose really because that's, that's what we do we lock ourselves in away from the world when we're consuming cannabis we hide um, because we don't want to get caught with it but I did the exact opposite I was like right I'm actually going to march into the cop station and I'm going to say I've got cannabis here and I want you to do your job and give me my day in court because I believe it's a violation of my constitutional rights and that's what I've done I've done that once a month for 12 months of 2021 I 12 uh actions of civil disobedience where i planted cannabis out in public where i went into the guard stations with cannabis um, and i done all this live on facebook just to challenge the law to get my day in court as i do believe it's a violation of uh, our rights as it was brought up as well when this was being debated all those years ago in the dial before they even brought the laws in that these laws actually violate people's rights right to privacy or your right to bodily autonomy or your right to um that's the the other one um we mentioned a sovereignty over your body you know the, all of these kind of rights that are being violated through this misuse of drugs act and somebody has to stand up for them we, we've never had a time in history where governments who took rights away from people just willingly gave them back without there being a challenge from the people because if, if you as an authority um have power over people because you've managed to like take away some of their people's rights you're never really going to willingly give that back because you've got power over these people. You know, you've got uh, an autonomy over them um, and you're not going to willingly give that back. So the people have always had to stand up. As I mentioned, you know, the likes of Rosa Parks, she sat down on the seat and refused to get up for the white person. And she was dead right to do that. It was it was illegal what she done, but she was dead right. It wasn't mm. wrong, you know, and that's the way I see it. I don't see anything that I've been doing as wrong. It might be illegal, but it's not wrong. That the people that are doing wrong are the part the people actually enforcing those laws. Um, so that that very much is the the mindset behind my campaigning, my activism, as I don't see anything wrong with my consumption of cannabis, my use of cannabis, or even if I was to grow cannabis, my growing of cannabis. I would even go as far as saying that I'd see nothing wrong with supplying cannabis too, as uh, I definitely have an ambition there to be able to set up a local social cannabis club where we can provide high quality cannabis at an affordable price to people where the motivation isn't profit at all. It's not profit driven. Um, it's quality driven and it's consumer satisfaction driven. Um, that's what I would like to see set up. <clears throat> um, and I might set that up as part of a campaign of civil disobedience uh, if the government don't get their finger up. Because we're waiting for this a very, very long time. You think back to Luke Ming Flanagan, he had a bill before the government back in 2013, I believe, and Luke Ming Flanagan, when chatting to him myself, uh, he actually said that he doesn't believe that any of those members of government even read that bill that he put forward. That as soon as it arrived on their desk, it just went in the bin and they knew they were going to be voting it down. As he said that the questions that were brought up during the debate of the bill, those questions would have been answered had the people actually read the bill. They were asking questions about information that the answer was actually in the bill if they had read it. So to him, he said they didn't even read it. They just threw it in the bin, voted against it, killed it as soon as it arrived to the floor of the, the government. 
And um, here we are now, 2023, 10 years later, patients being dragged before the courts, patients that would have been spared by Luke McFlanagan's bill all those years ago. Um, and they're now being tortured by the, the, the people who are supposed to protect them, i.e. our guards. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just messed up. So that, that very much is what fuels uh, my campaign and my civil disobedience, the, the work I do on the podcast. Um, I don't see anything what I do is wrong. And, and also, I, my experiences were very negative on me. I don't want that to happen to other people. I don't want to see more damaged people growing up. I, I, I would label myself as a person who suffers with PTSD. If I see a cop going down the road, like I, I have a reaction that goes on. There's, there's a top pathway that kicks into motion, and you're, you're thinking, oh, straight away, do I have cannabis on me? Um, am I driving okay? It's, you know, all these kind of things get triggered when... In actual fact, when I see a guard, it shouldn't be. It should be just like, oh, there's a guard. Hi, guard. And that's it. Whereas as soon as I see a guard, I'm triggered. I have all these kind of um, uneasy feelings uh, start to develop. You, you get anxiety in, in your gut. It's just not good. It's it's not good enough. So I don't want other patients. I don't want other people, not, not even patients, but people um, who use cannabis um, to have to experience that. I was damaged enough and I don't want to see more damaged people. Especially, look, I, I've I mentioned already I'm a dad. My eldest daughter now is 15. She'll be 16 in June. Um, like I've, I've already had situations where my daughter at that age has been experimenting with drug use and things like that. I'm worried for my daughter because those the source where she's getting those drugs, it's from very shady sources. Like mm. I, I don't supply. I, I, I would nearly want to actually supply my daughter with drugs, but because she's so young, I, I just can't. But still, you know, as a parent, you, you can't have her locked up in a room. She's still going to get out that door. Yeah. When she's out that door, she's got uh, unfettered access to whatever drug she wants because of drug prohibition. Yeah. As a parent, like, there's only so much I can do for against that. As I said, I can't lock my daughter in 24-7 because we have drug yeah, prohibition. She's, uh, she's 16, man. She's curious. She wants to get out yeah. and, you know, like, she wants to try all these different things. Like, that's the way we all were when we were that age. Like, and yeah. the fact that actually even when you're 15 or 16 and you're trying your first drink or, in my case, it was a bit younger, like, when I first started to try drink. But it... it like I've nothing wrong with the or with the, the with the legal age, but mm. yeah, it, it's a it's a it's a very strange one, man. Um, I think the the issue around it is again the source of it. Like you thought, yeah, the age for alcohol was eighteen, but like at least when I got alcohol, because I, I was able to get alcohol when I was fourteen. I actually tried mm. alcohol when I was fourteen. How we got it is the buddy's cousin, an but older guy. Yeah, yeah, was old enough to go in, and he got us alcohol, like. The, the big difference between that and, say, getting cannabis or any other things is what I talked about earlier is the contamination factor of it. You get alcohol, you get, you're going to be getting exactly what it says in the bottle. If you're getting some Budweiser and it says 5%, it's 5%. If you're getting some vodka and it says 37.5%, it's 37.5%. Thing is, when you're getting cannabis, when you're getting ecstasy, when you're getting uh, coke, if, if whatever the drug may be, if, uh, you don't have that... that uh, that quality assurance. So you don't have mm-hmm. indication as to the, to the purity of that. And you don't have any indication as to the, the potential contaminants that are in there too, that could be even more dangerous um, than the substance that you consume in itself. So there lies the biggest danger to young people. You mentioned you're in support of a legalized regulated model for all drugs. I too am with you on that. Mm-hmm. And why that would be beneficial for me is, as a parent anyway, looking at it from that perspective is, at least if my daughter goes out and if she still is experimental and she still does want to try something, 
at least then she she's not going to be exposed to the dangers that are currently there where she can go to a drug dealer and that drug dealer could like fucking pull her into the house you know god god forbid pull her into the house and do something nasty or anything like that you know that's mm. not going to happen at a regulated store when we were down waiting outside of the off license and we asked some random stranger to you know hey there's a tenor there to go into the off license for us the worst thing that could really have happened to us there is your man walked away with her tenor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that, that's probably the worst thing that could have happened to us. Like, or, or they say, no, I'm not getting a fee. Yeah, fuck off. Go on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But where's with when it comes to drug suppliers, like, you know, and, and I'm not insi- in, in insinuating that the drug dealers are rapists and stuff like, but that potential is fucking there. You just don't know who that they're mm. dealing with. Like, there could be anybody behind that door, anybody behind that phone, because that's where most of them operate these days is Snapchat, Instagram, TikTok. Like you can get in all sorts of dealers on on these things, and this is where the kids are getting access to it. So for me, as a dad, I, I can do my campaigning as well. But my kids very much at the forefront of my mind that I want to create a safer world and society out there where drugs aren't being sold, you know, within your neighborhood in the housing estates, but they're instead sold by reputable retailers and places like we see pubs or off licenses. Because pubs and off licenses, they're not feuding or anything like that with each other. That shows regulation works. And again, I explained the experiences as an underage person buying alcohol. That again shows regulation works or reduces harm or reduces risks. Why don't we want to reduce harm and risks when we're punishing people apparently to reduce harm and risks? You know, that's the whole thing mm. of criminalization. It's for your own good. We're punishing you to deter you from doing it because doing it is bad for you. But actually, you no, know, punishing me is bad for me by having it illegal is much worse for me. So it's, I don't know, I just don't see the the or the argument of uh, prohibition holding up. And I believe that's why prohibitionists aren't willing to engage in honest debates around it. They only want to go on their echo chambers. They'll go on their five, ten minute slot there on news talk or one of the national media and they'll do it unchallenged. They don't want to have somebody there speaking against them. They don't want to have somebody calling out the their strawman arguments, you know, the, the, the yeah. their fallacies that they're to be stating, like, because... It is. It's, it's all. It's all lies uh, that they're they're spouting, and to do it unchallenged. Uh, but the citizens' assembly is going to change that. I believe that they won't be able to do it in an unchallenged way now, because the, the citizens are going to be setting the narrative. Yeah, uh, I look forward to that. And it's interesting as well because you have the lawmakers that are making the laws, and we know we know this for a fact that just because they wear a suit, they're given a buy. But we know, like there was the study done on. Westminster in the UK there I think was it two years ago and they tested the it, I can't remember the percent of the, the the politicians that they said inside there were doing coke like because they tested sister the cisterns on the back of the toilets and things like that for for coke residue like and it was I, I remember hearing it I was like that's not surprising to me at all but like you know you know it, it was for someone that's listening, you know, like I suppose it's older than me and hasn't been, you know, in, you know, the party scene and, you know, grown up like kind of in the same era as me, that might sound shocking. Like to my parents or or their parents or people of, you know, born before the 70s or 80s, even, you know, that probably sounds insane to them. What the hell? These people that are running our countries are doing cocaine. It's like, yeah, it's like that that's the state of affairs like it's like and then you'll have the the lads walking around in his fucking jeans and a t-shirt being fucking you know pulled over these but these fellas doing coke in the back of cisterns in Westminster are are, are just being given a boy because they're 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 their household names and stuff like that all of them are at it every level of society there there is no um part of our society that is free of drug users 
you know, every every industry has drug users, every career, whatever thing you want to put, like there's going to be a drug user there in some shape or form, whether it be a person who uses alcohol or tobacco or whether it be a person who uses one of the illicit drugs that we uh, fail to regulate. You know, you're going to have them all. But like we see it, like the cops, the people who enforce the laws, like there was a headline there recently. There's a cop art being taken off of the force because of his uh, his links to the organized crime gang, the, mm-hmm. the Canadians. Like, and that's not a standalone story. This is something that's repetitively coming up. So not only are the cops actually involved in drug taking, but the cops are actually involved in drug dealing and uh, involved with the organized crime gangs. Probably giving them a heads up, you know. There's yeah, going to of be course. A checkpoint down this road. There's going to be a raid on this house and a nice you know, brown envelope in the back pocket in for doing the job, like. But when you think about it, right, you think about the effects of drug prohibition and that it gives a multi-billion euro industry to these organized crime gangs. And then we have cops, the, the enforcers of our drug laws, the people who are supposed to be keeping the drugs off the streets. But these cops were like, well, what's a good wage for a cop? Would you say like 50, 60 grand a year? Probably, Maybe 70, yeah. a, bit, a bit of overtime or something like that if they're doing well. <clears throat> Well, you look at the Kinnons, the organized crime groups, and you say up in Dublin, you know, on a weekend, how much money can they make selling cocaine and stuff like that? And how much can they afford to to use to buy off a cop? And it's just the cost, cost of doing business. Um, so if you were to just give a cop, you know, oh, here's 10 grand there, you know, turn, turn the eye the other way there for the rest of the month. And that, that dealer now has got control over a certain area because mm-hmm. they know they're not going to be targeted by the cops in that area because this particular cop is on the beat at these times and they know what times that they can be out there then and uh, just deal away unchallenged. This is going on. This is undoubtedly going on within Ireland. Um, I don't know how how large a scale it's going on, but it's undoubtedly going on where we've got dirty corrupt cops that are working with the organised crime gangs, giving them tip, tip-offs and stuff like that, and they're taking backhanders then as well for it. And, you wouldn't blame them for doing it. The cops are they're, they're underpaid they're, they're, or they're overworked, to be fair. Like, I don't think that the cops should be out there targeting anybody for drugs. Um, and I do think that they do an incredible service in our community because uh, there's other places they keep us safe. You know, they did her speeding on our roads and stuff like that. As I said, if, if you were having somebody breaking into your home or if you were getting attacked on the street, uh, it's most likely the cops that you want to be calling for help. So you're, you're relying on them in so many ways. Um, and I, I just want them to see them to be more effective in their duties of keeping us safe and getting rid of these drug laws. They shouldn't be targeting us. You know how much time is actually wasted by the guards every year on drugs? It makes up a very large percentage of the work that they do because it's one of the few things that they can do where they get easy results. Like if you're robbing something, like they have to catch a in possession of the robbed goods, you know, mm. like all of that kind of stuff. So if a store cop makes a phone call oh we just been robbed and they give your description now the cops have to drive around look for somebody your description and they have to hope that you you've got the drugs in you or sorry you've got the stolen goods in you whereas when it comes to enforcing the drug laws they just have to drive around see somebody who fits a description of somebody they think that might be using drugs and they just stop and search you it's a lot easier there's a lot less steps in the process they're, they're not looking for a specific person as in the case of the stolen goods Mm. it's a much easier thing to police for the cops because there's so many more targets out there that they can engage with so there's more so many more opportunities for them to get numbers what the numbers mean opportunities yeah. in the career ladder they, they get more pay for themselves you know um it, it's a horrible system it's a horrible way they, they work it I, I would much prefer it if uh, our cops actually were focused on real criminals in society uh thieves rapists murderers those kind of people um instead of drug users because the drug users like We've a dedicated drug squad. 
Like that's says all. I have a drug, dedicated drug squad that's got far more cops than say the uh, sexual assault unit. Like, yeah, or, or, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. That. How much more worse is sexual assault? And we've got more cops assigned to drugs than we do sexual assault. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's wrong. It's so fucking wrong. Like, yeah, um, and and that's not even counting. Like, if if you had like the full liberalization of of cannabis in the economy, like you have job growth, like you've serious job growth there. You have tax income like you could tax the shit out of it like you know like you have the vat and then you can put some other fucking tax like you have in cigarettes like or you know like if you want to do it that way like you know tax the shit out of it but i I think other models have shown us uh in places like canada and stuff like that and especially in america as well i think america is uh, a very interesting one at the moment as in places like California, they did do that. They taxed the shit out of it. They over-regulated it. They put the, the bar too high in terms of uh, like the amount of money a person has to invest to get a license and all of this kind of stuff. And it's really hard to squeeze in the industry where it allowed the the legacy market, the black market to perpetuate. It still exists. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, because if, if you're um, a person who was growing and supplying cannabis prior to these changes happening. And now these changes happening and you have to pay like a million dollars for this license. You have to pay a half a million to, to get this up to spec and all of this stuff. That's things you didn't have to do on the legacy market before. So a lot of them don't really switch over and they just continue doing what they're doing. Yeah, they yeah. have a customer base that's well established too. Um, So I think if we over tax it, if we over regulate it, then we're just going to allow the black market to perpetuate. Like we see yeah. this already with alcohol and cigarettes in our in this country. Alcohol and cigarettes. I, I know my mom. Like my mom. Like she's. I like, shouldn't have even seen this. Like, but like when she goes, uh, she, my brother just recently moved to Manchester. So when my mom goes to Manchester now, which is only like a twenty duty free gets a good rating. <laughs> it's like twenty euro she gets for Ryanair flight to go over and visit my brother. She gets a special offer then on rolling tobacco on the way back on the plane. And then she can come back to Ireland and she can sell the rolling tobacco to like my aunts and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At a favorable price for them as well. Like, you know, she's not ripping them off or anything. She's yeah, yeah. Paying a good price. And she can pay for her next flight out of that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And like when I think about it, right, my mom, my mom is like fucking innocent. Like she she would never think of doing something illegal. But effectively, what she's doing is illegal. She's bringing in tobacco and she's selling it without a license. She doesn't have a license to sell tobacco. She's an entrepreneur, man. <laughs> she's an entrepreneur. <laughs> but like you see how overtaxation can can create these situations yeah. where you have people who wouldn't regularly break the law are now seeing. Oh yeah, sure. If I just sell that to my sister, and yeah, but sure, people bring back suitcases of fucking cigarettes from Spain there as well. Like they buy them into the tobacco yeah. shops over there, and yeah, sure. That, that's always been the thing. Like you bring back <laughs> cigarettes to your family, or like something yeah. if you're going abroad. So like, yeah. well, I wouldn't be against a tax on my grass. Yeah. I I don't want them to overtax it to a situation where it benefits the organized crime gang. I want to see it actually work. I want to see it to be viable, and I want to see it to just blossom and bloom into the beautiful thing that it can be. And I suppose that's why we have economists. They can they can do, do the economic analysis. Where's where's the purchase point where the consumer will stick with the dispensary over the the drug dealer? And where is the the happy point if the economists do their job correctly? That is. <laughs> but um, I suppose we'll wrap it up. But I want to ask you one more question. Yeah. Um, what would be your dream or ideal view of Ireland in? I'm not sure what's a realistic timescale, but I'm going to say five to seven years. Yeah, I suppose I took part in the Justice Committee recently and there was very good recommendations came out off the back of the Justice Committee. 
And I would love to see those um, recommendations materialized. I would like to see them adopted and policy be created around them. And that would be more than ideal then for me as those recommendations included establishing. And they weren't very specific either. It was interesting. Uh, the TD James Lawless, I believe he's a finophiler. Um, he was inspired by the Students for Sensible Drug Policy. The Students for Sensible Drug Policy in UCC held an amazing event where they had a cross-party examination of drug policy. They had a representative from each party in Ireland come in and speak, and they got to ask them questions about their party's position on drug policy. It was an amazing event. But James Lawless got his mind opened on that anyway, and he held this Justice, Justice Committee on the effect of sanctions against drug users, uh, the, the, the consequences of that. And we got to contribute to that. Anyway, the, the recommendations that came out, they included setting up of um, not-for-profit um, kind of social clubs for plant-based drugs. He, he wasn't like talking about cannabis then. He said plant-based drugs. So he left it open there for things like mushrooms, for say coca leaf, which is where cocaine comes from. So opium poppy, which is where heroin comes from. And a couple of other plants there as well that are, They'd be very beneficial, and I would see them as being harm reduction too, because if you were to allow setting up, say, a coca leaf cafe, um, that would be an alternative to people snorting cocaine. And mm. I know there's a guy in Canada at the moment, Dana Larson, and he's got a dispensary where he sells mushrooms, coca leaf, and cannabis all from the one spot. And he says that he said there's people who come in that they would have been like heavy cocaine users before, and now they opt for coca leaf as an alternative as the coca leaf it's 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 not as bad as like snorting a lot of coke up your nose you know you don't want to end up like Whitney Houston where you know you just have one nostril I think that was Whitney Houston wasn't it yeah <laughs> did Whitney Houston lose the septum she did I, I think so wasn't it her Jesus. She for the coke wasn't she she was very bad on drugs yeah yeah but anyway you know you don't want to end up in that situation so using the leaf offers an alternative you can chew the leaf with some like say salt and it helps release the alkaloid and it helps give you a nice natural um a little nice kind of yeah, high exactly, yeah. and it's very much in line with the traditional use of that plant as well that's been going on in places where it was being grown for thousands of years where these people work in high altitudes and they have like a little pouch in their a little sack in their pocket and they take out a couple of leaves and they chew on the leaves. Seen that in documentaries, yeah. They'd be chewing the things, yeah. Yeah, so these people aren't going around like off their faces. They're literally using like <laughs> yeah. a tool. It's a tool that gets used in, in, in a way that doesn't lead to abuse. Um, it's, it's only been prohibition that's really led to the abuse of these substances because cocaine, like it only really got concentrated because of the war on drugs. You're not going to be shipping a lot of leaves around. You know, you're not going to ship a lot of leaves from Peru to, to Ireland and offer people coca leaves. You're going to be like, right, we concentrate it. We get the the principal compound, which is the um the the cocaine, that alkaloid, and we get that, and we just ship that out to people. And that's where the harm then lies because people end up with these more dangerous substances. So again, the Justice Committee's recommendations, I would love to see those adopted and enacted on because they allowed for the setting up of these um harm reduction pathways. Um, to, to different substances so like if you wanted to legalize and regulate cocaine let's say you could do it in a safer way by allowing people access to the, to the plant and offering mm. that and maybe saying that the powder is something that we will only use in the medical setting and anybody who wants to use cocaine recreationally well you're going to have to use it in the leaf form where it's not as dangerous to the individual it's it's far less harmful to the individual the risk of overdose and stuff like that it's it's not as high. The, the potential for abuse 
it's just not there. The potential for abuse is mostly there because of the concentrated form, because of that, the, the way in which cocaine is being delivered to people under the model of prohibition. So I, I hope those recommendations would be adopted um, over the next couple of years and we see people able to set up um, local um, kind of where, again, it's not profit orientated. People can make money, make a living and whatever off it, but they're not making millions. They're not freaking going to be Jeff Bezos because they, mm-hmm. they got to, to sell cocaine to people or cannabis to people in Ireland or whatever. Um, I would like to see it community controlled, community orientated um, and not profit orientated. We see profit orientation there with alcohol. I'm sick of being down, walk on, down to the bus stop there or something like that. And next is an ad for Jack Daniels. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I don't want to see that for cannabis. I don't want to see that for cocaine. I don't want to see that for any drugs. We shouldn't be seeing it for alcohol. Mm. If, if, if alcohol is a good drug, you don't need to advertise it. If people know about it, then they're going to seek it out. Advertising only benefits the the companies that can afford it, like the likes of Budweiser, Heineken, Jack Daniels, all, all the big names. We've microbreweries there down in Kinsale. There's a, a lovely microbrewery down there that does um, Stonewell Cider. Mm. I enjoy, I'll enjoy a bottle of Stonewell Cider. Thing is, I bought the Stonewell Cider because it was locally produced. It was a, a microcraft brewery and I felt like I was supporting local. I, and, and that was the only reason I bought it. I, I drink one or two of them when I'm out at the pub and I'm, I'm quite happy about that. I would love to be doing the same for other brands of uh, types of products out there, uh, cannabis and other stuff like that, where you're buying it because it's a locally produced, high quality product. And it's not because it was fucking plastered all over the billboards coming down the road and you know, yeah. marketing campaigns. I don't want to see that for cannabis. I believe that's a mistake that we made in other uh, drug industries, you know, tobacco, cannabis, alcohol. We see it now with tobacco. We've really rolled back the the packaging branding and stuff like that. I think that's a step in the right direction. Mm. I, I, to be fair, like I agree with what they're doing over in the likes of America, where you can't have your cannabis jellies in particular shapes, gummy bears, for example, because they appeal to kids. I, I get that. Yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. A sensible approach. I think as an adult, you know, you shouldn't be too bothered because you're getting a just a plain old jelly in in uh and and not cartoonish <laughs> way, you know. Yeah. I don't think you, you as a consumer would be too bothered about that. And I think these are sensible forms of regulation. Um, and I, I'm definitely a proponent of removing advertising from all drugs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, Martin, that was yeah. it was an absolute pleasure talking to you, man. I learned an awful Same lot. Day, from, yeah. And um geez, like there's loads more things we could go into, but I'm just conscious of the time. So I think we're gonna finish it there, man. Yeah, yeah, no problem, Ron. Look, if there's ever a time you want me back on in the future, I'd be more than happy to come back on because uh, I really enjoyed the conversation here today and hopefully others out there listening enjoyed it too. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping to, that people gather a lot. Anyway, thanks for listening.